0: Mute your microphone and turn off your camera. And uh, if you want uh, one of the note sheets from the Sermon Club, uh, feel free to grab a hold of that as Karen comes around. Uh, Also, the first song we did today, uh, it's a brand new song that Karen and I wrote. uh, So appreciate your feedback. If you like it or not, uh, just come on up and let us know afterwards. uh, And uh, we'll also do it again in in just a little bit. And so uh, we're going to get ready to go on our live stream now. Just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream today. It's only one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. If you want to be part of the whole thing via Zoom drop us an email or you can come visit us at Chelsea Community Church at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you have your Bibles with you we're going to look at two places in the Gospel of John. First of all John chapter 15 And then we'll go back to John chapter 2. Before we read, let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts through your word to the glory of Jesus this day to help us to live faithfully as your followers. Lord, as we come to you, we continue to pray for Ukraine, asking for peace in Ukraine and Russia. We pray for those who have perished in the tornadoes in the United States. And we also pray for those suffering in Malawi and Mozambique and Madagascar uh, during, for the cyclone that's been going on there. Lord, have your mercy on them. Comfort and encourage people all across the world and well, now, Lord, open our hearts and open our minds to receive all that you would speak to us today. And let your Holy Spirit rest on me to bring your word to your people today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In John 15, Jesus, is it's the night in which he's going to be betrayed. He's talking to his disciples uh, shortly before he's given up and, and arrested. And he says this, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And then to John chapter two. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him." May God bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. You know, we think about cultures and how cultures are different, but we often don't think about how cultures are the same. You know, one of the things Uh, that every culture around the world desires is to flourish. People want to flourish. People want to grow in a healthy way. They want to increase. They want to prosper. Not necessarily in a Western kind of understanding of prosperity, but they desire this flourishing. It's something that's just down deep in every single human being, in every single family in every single group of people this desire to flourish. And all the religions of the world, they have a vision for human flourishing. Every religious system has its own understanding of how we flourish as human beings. For example, in Buddhism, flourishing arises by uh, disassembling your unique fixed sense of self, your personal identity, and embracing this collective sense of a shared identity, compassion for other people, and a perspective that everything is constantly changing. And ultimately, one day, you know, your your unique self is extinguished into the great uh, Nirvana, the oneness of the universe. Or you can look at uh, Islam. Islam, once people want to flourish, but flourishing for Islam requires that you acknowledge the one true God and his particular prophet, and then you do certain things that this God has set forth for you, and you hope that at the end of your life when you stand before God, you happen to have done more good deeds than bad deeds. But of course you don't really know this until you stand before God, so you can think you're going to paradise and discover yourself in a very hot place that's not Hawaii. so you don't know about it. In secular humanism and atheism, you know, they want to flourish as well. They haven't denied flourishing. And for many people in that system, the flourishing is about creating a, a caring and compassionate society, and maybe become caring and compassionate human beings, not realizing that that quest, that desire, often has come from the fact of the Christian basis of a lot of the things that we do and a lot of things that we say. All human beings want to flourish, and they try their best to create systems to help us to flourish, whether it's religious systems or societal systems. But the problem is that all human systems designed to make us flourish ultimately fail. They will not succeed, they cannot succeed. They cannot succeed because they fail to account for the enemies of human flourishing according to the Bible, which is sin, the wrongdoing of human beings, the power of the demonic, of Satan, of evil, that's present in the world, and the power of the world, the world systems, that try to force you into their mold more than they try to promote your own flourishing. And if you don't account for sin, and you don't account for Satan, and you don't account for the power of the world, Flourishing will always be undermined. It'll be undermined by human sinfulness. It will be undermined by the systems of the world around us. I mean, just think government. And you can see how government, doesn't matter who's in power, tends to undermine our flourishing. You You can think so many different religions. They all, if they don't account for these things, they're doomed to failure. But the truth is still that God has designed us to flourish. And I believe the Bible shows us that God desires that we flourish. God wants us to flourish as human beings. And God has said that the only way that we can flourish, God's way of flourishing only happens, only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Because as Christians, we believe it's only the cross and the empty tomb through which God has overcome all the power of sin, all the power of Satan, and all the power of the systems of the world that constantly undermine our flourishing. And when we look at the claims of Jesus, this is the claim that Jesus is making today. He is claiming, when he claims to be the vine, he is claiming to be the source of our flourishing as his followers and our flourishing as human beings. Now, as we've been looking the last several weeks at these I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, you know, we, we understand there's a lot of opinions about Jesus in the world. If you walk down in central London and you ask a dozen people who is Jesus, you know, Some might say, well, he's my gardener, you know? And some might say, oh, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. They'll have all kinds of opinions. But really, the only opinion, if Jesus is true, if Jesus is real, the only opinion that really matters is Jesus's opinion. And either Jesus's opinion of himself is right or it's wrong. And if Jesus' opinion of himself is wrong, then what are we doing here on a Sunday morning when we could be in a coffee shop? But if Jesus' opinion of himself is right, that truth makes demands on us. It demands a response from us. Now, also, as we've been looking, you know, anybody can express an opinion about themselves. I can say that I'm actually the real president of the United States that uh, you know Biden is just my puppet president but I'm the real president you know and I could say that and I could believe it a hundred percent but you'd be right to say well then prove it and we're right to say to Jesus okay Jesus this is what you say about yourself but prove it and as we've been looking these last several weeks for everything that Jesus said there's a corresponding proof that Jesus did to demonstrate that he is who he said he is, and that who he is requires our response. So today Jesus said in this passage, I am the vine, I am the vine. Now notice of these statements, of the seven statements that we've we've been looking at so far, of these seven statements, uh, this is the first, this is the most intimate statement. He's talking to his closest followers. He's talking to his friends when he says this. Almost every other statement that Jesus makes about himself is made very publicly and is a public challenge to people. But this statement is almost like an invitation to his followers. It's an intimate statement of relationship and the statement reveals a relational interplay between Jesus and the Father, God, and Jesus, the Son, and his followers, us. And there's a dynamic that is going on there, a relational dynamic that is happening. And Jesus uses an analogy that they all would be quite familiar with, the analogy of the grapevine. God uses it many times to describe Israel, In the Old Testament and how God has tended Israel but in this case Jesus is saying I am the vine in other words he's claiming to be the embodiment and the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel he's saying it's all in him it all comes to pass in him it all comes to fulfillment in him it's just like Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter one, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So that's the overall thing that Jesus is saying here. He says, I am the vine. And notice, unlike all the other statements, he expresses it in two related, but slightly different ways. He says it twice. First of all, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. By the true vine, Jesus is saying that He Himself, not Israel, is the source of life, sustenance, fruitfulness, and identity for all God's people. Up until Jesus, if you wanted to really experience, identity, have a new identity, have life, have God's blessing. You had to be part of Israel. You had to be Jewish. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, now all of this is fulfilled in me. Because I, Jesus says, am the true vine. Then he says, and the father is the vine dresser. He's reminding his followers that God is the sovereign Lord, that God is the one who is in charge that God is one looking over him as the vine and all of his followers and the whole situation, the whole relationship. And he says that the Father will clear away every branch that does not bear fruit. This indicates a branch that's not really connected to the vine, like debris. You know, if you go out in a vineyard and you walk through the vineyard, you'll notice from time to time that there are branches that come loose, that can't bear fruit, that kind of just hang there in the vine, but there's no life in it. And he says, well, God's going to take those. Uh, The father just takes those out. He clears away those branches that don't bear fruit. And the father cleans or prunes every branch that does bear fruit. So it will bear more fruit. So God is tending everything. Now, remember, pruning cuts back to produce more. And for the vine, the pruning, or for the branch could be a difficult process. It's saying that God is intimately, the Father is intimately involved in our lives in connection with our relationship with Jesus Christ to make us better, to clear away all the junk in us so that we can really be fruitful, so that we can really flourish as human beings, because that's what this is about. It's about our flourishing and God is tending us and caring for us and orchestrating the circumstances of our lives to help us bear more fruit. And sometimes those circumstances are uneasy, sometimes they're quite painful. You know, I've shared some of my own story and I know many of you have stories as well that go along with this. And Jesus also reminds his followers here that this is not about your salvation. You know, your fruitfulness is not related to your salvation here. Because notice what he says, you are already clean because my word is in you. In other words, he's saying to the disciples, you're already forgiven. You're already my followers. You're already my people. This is not an issue of salvation. This is not us going into some kind of works righteousness that if I do enough and produce enough, that God's gonna love me. And if I don't do enough, and don't produce enough, then God's gonna cast me away and burn me in a very hot place. This is not the attitude that Jesus is talking about here. But Jesus is making it clear, as he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Jesus. In other words, the only path to flourishing is abiding in Jesus. The only way that we experience fruitfulness in our lives, overcoming the power of sin, of Satan, of the worldly systems that undermine our flourishing, the only way it will happen is if we abide in Jesus according to Jesus. These are things Jesus is saying about himself, things he's he's saying about himself. Our faith In other words, is an ongoing relationship, not a religion. Jesus is not giving us a big list of the top 10 things to do to make God happy so we don't go to hell. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship that will produce flourishing fruitfulness in our lives. We need to understand not all who practice Christianity are Christians. There's a lot of people in the world today who do a lot of stuff and they do a lot of Christian stuff and some people do it well. Some people do it extremely well because they're extremely talented. And some people can make a lot of money doing the Christian stuff really well because they're extremely talented. But that doesn't mean that they're flourishing, that doesn't mean they're fruitful, that doesn't mean they're connected to the vine just because they do stuff. That's all, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Then he goes on to say another thing, and notice that the first one is Jesus and his father, and now he goes on to say the second one, which is Jesus and the followers. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and Jesus abiding in us is the essence of our faith as Christians. This is the center of the Christian life. When we become Christians, the Spirit of God, Jesus unites himself with us and abides in us and leads us to abide in him. And really, you could summarize the Christian life with this phrase from Jesus. Abide in me and I abide in you. That's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. It's not about knowing how to read the Bible, right? It's not about knowing how to pray, right? It's not about worshiping with your hands raised or worshiping and dancing. All those things are good. All those things are important, but that's not the essence of your Christian life. The essence is you abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in you. That's the center of who we are. And Jesus promises that whoever abides in Jesus, And Jesus in them will bear much fruit. Again, this is not about we'll do a lot of good things. They will bear fruit. And it's important to understand this is a natural process when we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. It's something that happens naturally, supernaturally, not something that we necessarily have to work for, that we have to produce on our own. I mean, you think about that. You know, when's the last time you ever walked into an apple orchard, for example, and saw the, you know, heard an apple tree go, ah, Ding! and see apples? Doesn't happen, doesn't happen. Because the fruit comes naturally as a product of the tree. The fruit comes naturally as a product of the vine whoever is connected to Jesus and Jesus in them will flourish quite naturally but apart from Jesus we can do nothing without him we don't have any control any possibility of flourishing and anyone who does not abide in Jesus according to Jesus is not a Christian a follower a disciple by definition he says it's thrown away like a dead branch and withers only to be burned in the fire. It's the image of a branch, you could have leaves on it. It could seem to be alive, but it's disconnected from the vine. And once a branch is disconnected from the vine, there's no hope for it. You can't paste it back on. It will eventually die. But Jesus says, if you abide in him and his words abide in you, then you can pray with power. And you can pray with effectiveness because it will be done. You're abiding in Jesus, Jesus in you. So you're praying what he wants you to pray. And Jesus says that the Father is glorified when we flourish and demonstrate that we're Jesus' disciples. Even in the midst of adversity and in the midst of difficulty, we can flourish and demonstrate that we're disciples of Jesus, and that glorifies the Father. And then Jesus says, astoundingly, he says, as the father loves me, so I love you. The father loves Jesus with an inseparable love, with an eternal love. And that's the same kind of love that Jesus has for us. It's not a love based on how many leaves we have, because you get pruned back, you don't have any leaves. It's an eternal love that comes through our connection with Jesus. And so we need to just see abide in that love. And if we keep his commandments, we do what he tells us, that's how we abide in his love. And he tells us that if we abide in him and he in us, then we'll have joy and that Jesus's joy will be in us. And this joy of the sovereign Lord will be in us so that our joy can be full. That's almost the definition of flourishing. So this is what Jesus is saying. This is the claim of Jesus when he says, I am the vine. So we say, so what? You claimed it, but prove it. Prove it. And to do so, we're gonna go back to his first sign. Now, remember, signs and miracles are slightly different. Miracles are the supernatural things that Jesus did uh, throughout his life and his ministry. But the signs are indicators of who he really is. The signs are special miracles that he did that say, pay attention to this because it's important. And And his disciples recognized it. And so what sign did Jesus do to show he could make the claim that he is the vine? Well, he turned the water into wine. Now we read the story, you know it. Uh, It's the story of the wedding at Cana. And Jesus and the disciples are invited. And it's important to understand that in the the Middle East at that time, and still true today, weddings were celebrations of human flourishing. They had big parties that would last for days, because this is a sign this is human flourishing as it's at its best. a man and a woman coming together in a new relationship, and the families uniting and everybody coming and partying for a few days. And uh, unless you think it's all, you know, a non-alcoholic wine, you know, they, they, they really went on for a while, and it's very clear there that it was definitely not non-alcoholic. So they're there and they're having a great celebration. There's great flourishing, but then the unthinkable happens. The wine runs out. And this is embarrassing. I mean, I understand this. You know, when we do church lunches, one of the most embarrassing things that would ever happen to me is if we ran out of food. I mean, you just don't do that. So I, I'm paranoid about this. I'm always telling, Carrie, let's fix more. I mean, I get myself in trouble so much, because like we'll have people over at the house, and uh, they want fish and chips. So I go to the favorite fish and chips place to take out, and Karen says, okay, we need like six, piece, six uh, pieces of, of fish, but only two chips, you know, two large chips. And I go and I order, but you know, I'm walking there, and I'm thinking, I don't want to have too few chips, you know, because <laughs> especially it's chips. You know, fish, we can cut up, you know? I can multiply that maybe, but, uh, but not the chips. We need to make sure. And so I end up going in, and I come back with four boxes of chips. And she says, "Rod, what do you do? That's too many chips. I said, well, you know, I, I just didn't want to run out. And then we eat chips for the next three weeks. Uh, and uh, you know, and it's good, you know? Uh, maybe that's my strategy, I don't know. And it's the same kind of thing that was going on there the same kind of thing, and they run out of the wine. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, says, son, they're out of wine. You know, there's a, a great uh, 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 musical about the life of Jesus called the Cotton Patch Gospel, and it's portrayed as if Jesus grew up in Georgia in the United States. And they have a scene at the wedding feast of Cana where Mary goes up to Jesus and says, "Jesus." Do you remember how, as a boy, you used to make a killing on your lemonade stand because you never seemed to run out? <laughs> you know, can yeah, you do? Yeah, uh, so I don't think that happened, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so, but she says, you know, son, they're out of wine. I mean, this is an embarrassing situation. You know, and at first Jesus is saying, well, you know, it's not really my problem that they've run out of wine. You know, that's kind of up to them but okay it's a bit of an embarrassing situation and so he's wondering what to do and Mary just says okay to the servants do what he tells you to do and so there were a bunch of big jars there each one of these jars uh, were about 70 to 100 liters so big jars that usually held, held water and Jesus says fill them up and so they fill them up and he doesn't do hocus pocus or anything like that they just obey him they fill it up and he says, now draw some and take it to the master of the feast and the master of the feast, you know, he, he tastes it and he's like, "Woo, this is good stuff. This is fabulous wine. But now he's upset because the party's been going on for a while. People's drunk all the wine and he, he calls the groom and he says, what are you doing, man? I mean, everybody, they bring the good wine out first. So that when people get drunk, they don't recognize that they're drinking the cheap stuff but you brought out the good stuff. you saved it for last. And that was the sign. And it caused the, the, the groom and the master and all to save face. But Jesus, the John, as he records, it says, this sign manifested the glory of Jesus. Up until now, the disciples hadn't really seen who Jesus was, hadn't really had a taste of Jesus. In himself and it led to those closest followers believing in him the sign of the wedding at Cana is a sign for the inner circle of Jesus that we might see and that we might know and the sign revealed who Jesus really was he was the source of great abundance and provision is the source of excellence. Jesus is both the bridegroom and the master of the feast. And this sign was actually pointing to Jesus as the vine, which is the true source of the wine. The vine leads to the branches, grow the fruit and produce the wine. The sign at the very beginning of his ministry confirmed the claim that he would make at the end that Jesus is the source of our suffering. It proved it. It demonstrated it and unlike every other sign with this sign all all the hearers believed. They all believed. Everybody who knew it believed in that moment who Jesus was. So if Jesus' claim is true that he is the vine, and Jesus demonstrated that his claim is true in turning the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana, what demands does that make on us? What does that require of us? What response must we make to this claim? If it's true, if we believe it, if we see the evidence, we see the proof, and Jesus tells us. He tells us a few things here. First of all, he says, "Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you." Now remember, abiding does not require striving, It doesn't require talent, It doesn't require some kind of superhuman effort. It's really more about remaining. It's about not going away, which sometimes seems harder for us than to staying. It means to remain in the closest possible relationship when you abide with someone. It means to remain actively connected and continuously connected with someone. You don't go apart. You don't separate yourselves. It means for Jesus, in this statement, to draw your life and your growth and your sense of flourishing from your relationship with Jesus as the vine and you as one of the branches. It means that you will produce fruit from your connection with Jesus. You will flourish from your connection with Jesus rather naturally. Again, it's a natural byproduct of your connection, not the result of your effort. When Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, it's not a works thing. Jesus did all the work to make this necessary. It's important for us to understand that. And it means that we need to submit to pruning. When we abide in Jesus, that means we will go through some difficult circumstances. That means sometimes it will be painful. That means sometimes if the person sitting next to you is irritating the heck out of you, It could be by design from God the Father to prune you in some way. And it's not pleasant, and it's not comfortable, but it's necessary for us to flourish. And this also means that we have to believe Jesus' promise to abide in us. We need to remain alert and sensitive to Jesus' presence in our lives. He's there all the time even if you don't feel him, even if you don't know him, even if you don't recognize him there. He's there all the time. And you need to practice his presence. Just like Brother Lawrence in his book, The Practicing the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. You know, he, he said, I, you know, I can even, when I'm washing dishes, feel God's presence and connect with him. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. It it happens even in a marriage relationship. Like like for an example, I noticed uh, a lot of years ago, Karen loves mushrooms, I tolerate them. But if I go out to eat somewhere, and Karen is not with me, I find that I have a really strange habit of ordering mushrooms. And I'm like, why would I order mushrooms? It's because of that connection somehow, I don't know. I don't know. So he says, abide in me and I in you. And then he says a second thing here. He says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. Same kind of thing, same verb here, abide. But what does it mean to abide in his love? Well, first, it means that you must believe, have faith that Jesus loves you just as the father loves Jesus. Now, I talk to Christians all the time. We're like, oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, God loves this person better than me. That's not true. If you're in Christ, God loves you. God loves you with all the passion of his being. That doesn't change. That does not diminish. But it also means that we must keep Jesus's commandments just as Jesus kept the Father's commandment. You know, a lot of people today seem to think, well, I'm gonna abide in God's love And that means that I need to be nice to everybody. That means that I need to embrace people no matter what they do. That's not what he says. If you abide in the love of Jesus, you keep his commandments, you do what he says to do as revealed in his word. It's there, it's clear, he spoke it. And in essence, it means that we need to live as Jesus lived. Like John said later on in 1 John chapter 2, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You live your life as Jesus would live if he were you. That's the challenge. And then Jesus said a third thing here, a third way that we respond, which well, we like the first two, but the third one gets tough. Love one another as Jesus loved us. You see, you cannot abide in Jesus in isolation. That's the death of the vine. If you're connected with the vine, you're also connected with the other branches. There's no sense of, well, I'm on the end of the vine and I'm this little branch out here and I I don't have anything to do with the rest of the vine. That's not true. If you're connected to the vine, you're connected to the whole thing. It's all together and you're connected to all the other branches. And so to love one another, what what do we need to do? We need to lay down our lives for each other. Now, a lot of us find that quite easy because we say, well, I'd be willing to die for my friend. But the question is not really, "Will you willing to die, but are you willing to live for them? I've heard a lot of parents over the years say, I would die for my children. And I say, yeah, but are you willing to live for your children? Because your children need parents who would live for them, not just parents who will die for them. Well, I would die for Jesus. Well, that's great. Are you ready to live for him now in your relationships in the church? That's laying our lives down. And it also means that we have to do what Jesus commands, especially in the context of our relationships. And we love one another as Jesus loved us as we pay attention to what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is revealing as his friend and the friend of one another. And we follow that and we do that. And the fourth way, the fourth requirement demand that this makes on us, we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. We abide in his love. We love one another as Jesus loved us. And we must remember that we did not choose Jesus, but that Jesus chose us. Jesus chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. You might've thought I raised my hand. I walked up to the altar. I did this. That wasn't you choosing Jesus. That was Jesus choosing you and drawing you and calling you. And uh, notice what he says. Jesus doesn't say, well, just remember that you didn't choose me, I chose you, full stop. He says, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. I chose you and appointed you to flourish. I chose you and appointed you to thrive. I chose you and appointed you to live life fully. That is our appointment, that is our destiny, that is our calling. And it's a fruit that will abide, Jesus promises. And it's a fruit that will lead to and even stem from answered prayer in the name of Jesus. Jesus claimed, I am the vine. He demonstrated it at turning the water into wine. And he commands us, he requires us, if we believe, to respond by abiding in him abiding in his love, loving one another and remembering that we have been chosen to flourish abiding in Christ is the key abiding in Christ is the invitation abiding in Christ is the promise that Jesus gives to each one of us will you believe and will you respond let's pray Lord God, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you loved us and called us to yourself. And that as we abide in you, we can flourish, which is what we were designed to do. We can flourish despite our outward circumstances. We can flourish despite what we're going through in our lives. We can flourish despite the government we have. We can flourish despite all the attacks of the enemy against us. We can flourish not because we're good, not because we're strong, not because we're faithful, not because we're talented, not because we're skilled, not because we have a lot of spiritual gifts. We can flourish simply because we abide in you and you abide in us. Help us to see it, Jesus. Help us to believe it. Help us to embrace it. And help us to respond as you have asked us to respond in faith. We love you and we worship you. And we pray all of this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. To the glory of the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.